This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. Episode 98, Inside Out. Triple then come. We'll make you smile. Triple then come. It lasts a while. Triple then come. We'll help you mister to punch that breath right in the kister. Triple then come. Brought to you by Audible.com. Audible is the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with over 150,000 audio titles for you to choose from. This episode, our pick is Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull of Pixar. Now, this is a book that if you are interested in anything about Pixar, behind the scenes of Pixar, the making of the studio over time, or just how to run a business or an organization, Creativity Inc. is the book for you. It is amazing. We're going to talk about it in this episode. We're just going to talk about just a few paragraphs, and that's all the discussion is based around. Just imagine how much more discussion we will have from this book. And if you want to get on the action, definitely check it out. If you go to rotoscopers.com slash audible, you can get a free audiobook of your choice. It's yours to keep forever. And trust me, this is one that you'll want forever. So again, go to rotoscopers.com slash audible. Welcome, welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm your host, Mason Smith. I've got all my emotions and feelings ready to go. And uh, so so my two lovely co-hosts, as always, Chelsea Robson and Morgan Straddling. Say hello. Hello, hello. Hello there. Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. We are a show about our love for animation. Picture us in your mind, if you will. Close your eyes and picture three of your closest friends who are total nerds and love animation, all aspects of it. And we're all sitting on the couch talking about our favorite movies and giving our opinions, our feelings, our reviews, you know, um, trivia and awesome historical facts. Now, open your eyes. Sadly, we are not physically there with you, but we're with you on the podcast. I really hope you weren't driving at that point and you didn't actually <laughs> close your eyes because that would not be... We are not responsible for anything. Yeah, we're happened. not going to get sued. Not, <laughs> not, not again. Not, not again. I can't go not back to jail. Again. I can't go back to jail. I'm free. I'm free. Dang it. Dang it. <laughs> Yay. And if you just got all of those references, welcome. welcome and you get a gold home. star. Welcome home. <laughs> Welcome home. All right. So uh, speaking of which, we're going to have a nerdy couch discussion um, because this is a special episode. Thanks to our wonderful Patreon subscribers, our wonderful Roto Nation, as they are called collectively. We are now at a level where we can go out and uh, review new animated releases while they're still in theaters. That was something that we, we only did for maybe one uh, released every year beforehand, but now thanks to the support of our awesome patrons, all year 
when we get a new, you know, major release of an animated feature, then we are going to review it on the show. And so congratulations and thank you so much for our to our existing patrons. And um, if you're on the fence about being a patron, then I highly recommend you do it because you get awesome roto perks like you are listening to right now. I can't think of a better sales pitch. You did a great job. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And so, unless you live in a, you know, under a rock, you know that the most recent animated release is Pixar's very own Inside Out, and that's the one that we're going to review today. So excited. I can't, I think the last one we, well, the last Pixar film that we did right out of um, its theatrical release was Monsters University, right? Yeah. Yay! Oh, yes, that, that's when uh, Mason went to the theater, was surrounded by children. <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> Chelsea did a, a terrific job supplying the, the sound, sound effects, effects for that. <laughs> no, that's actually, what that, it was like. That week, I was moving to Nashville, and Morgan did the editing Nashville. on that one. Yeah, that's why that oh, one was so good, just let you know. Oh. <laughs> it's true. Fight, fight, fight. For the last two years, I've been trying so hard to get up to that standard it's not yeah, possible yeah, yeah. Until so strap I... yourselves in because we're just gonna go on this i have a dream i hope will come true you're here with me and i'm here with you i wish that the earth stayed the sky up above Will send me someone to love um, when I went to the theater, there was an even mix of adults and children. We'll talk about that later. But the first thing we saw after the previews was Pixar's new animated short, Lava. I have a dream I wish will come true. Yo, I wish I could play the ukulele just so I could just kind of walk around and sing that song, you know? <laughs> it's a great song. You know how... Lava. That was cute. Everybody, like, chuckled when they heard that line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so what did y'all think? I thought it was adorable. It was perfect. You know, everything that you come to expect from Pixar shorts, that they're they're funny, they're going to make you smile, they're going to have a great ending, they're going to make you go, aww. And <laughs> that one did make me go, aww. Although I did really see uh, a few minutes into it, I, which is basically halfway into it, I saw where it was going with the way that he was formed as a volcano and the way that she was. And I was like, yes, so cute. I like where this is going. And I liked the payoff. The animation was beautiful as well. Oh, wasn't it? Remember how Blue Umbrella was such a technical achievement? Absolutely. Well, this one really, really turned up. Uh, well, it's called procedural modeling, where you can um, you can do effects like very dense forests, you know, and all the trees are individual, and you've got all these you know physics stuff going on. So, uh, you know, excellent technology going there. But just like the creative aspect, how do you get a a mountain, a volcano, to sing? You know, what does it look like when a mountain sings a song? I I, I pictured him having a, a deeper voice, not going to lie. <laughs> See? But he kind of had that Hawaiian falsetto that's kind of a classic vibe, and so mm-hmm. I was fine with it. Yes, that all the polys have that make you so jealous. I know. Like, why can you all sing and amazing, and how come you're not all superstars? Why isn't there a Polynesian Coldplay? <laughs> they would take the market of, of falsetto pop singing. It's true. Yeah. Anyway, that's maybe I'll maybe I'll 
sponsor a Polynesian car- uh, um, singing group for like The Voice or something. <laughs> yep. So what All did right, you think? So, yeah. So I loved it. Um, it was really nice because, well, at first we'd uh, seen the preview for this, you know, last year or almost two years ago, I guess. Um, they put out a preview for this on, on YouTube and it was just the very beginning of it. So you never got the payoff. You didn't see where it was going. You just got the first verse. And I just remember thinking, oh, that's nice. That looks cute. And then when it finally got there, I was like, oh, wow, that was really, really nice. Um, I was with some friends and one of my friends was just like, yeah, it really just gave me the feeling that, you know, love is something you just got to be patient for. And I'm just thinking, wow, you thought much deeper into this than I ever did. I really just saw the irony of, well, that sucks that they're facing the wrong way. But it was... Oh, he was so sad. <laughs> he was so sad. And then he was under the water and it was like, aww. Then he was like, oh, they put it on the shirt. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, that would have ruined it. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. But, I mean, this is definitely in my top three. Really? I was just going to talk about that. Yeah. Was this your favorite? Was this y'all one of y'all's favorite Pixar shorts? No. No. For me, no. My it's not favorite. one of them? Oh, you know, well, one, it's, it's in your top three. It's in my top three. But was this my favorite? No, it wasn't my favorite. Um, Jerry's Game right. will always be my favorite. Yes, me too. Because, <laughs> I mean. Yeah, let's hear your top three, Chelsea. Okay, so my, my first one definitely is going to be Jerry's Game. Because I just remember that being so... Uh, so iconic. I mean, then later on, he makes a, a showing in Toy Story 2, and everyone's like, it's that guy! <laughs> <laughs> He's for display only. Yeah. And then, so that was my first one. And the second one was La Luna, which you could see right before, Was it, it was right before Brave, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was beautiful, too, because the storyline, because it was the... The grandpa and the son. It was like, oh, that's so cute. And they're like sweeping up the stars. <laughs> For me, those were the three. And Lava, I definitely put itself in there as like the top three that have really stayed in my mind. I would say number four would be Bounded. That would be the next one. But right. uh, my top three Helia are trope. right there. Well, okay. Let's see. Hmm. Top three Pixar short films. Well, let's see. I'll go backwards. Number three is uh, For the Birds. I really like that one. <laughs> uh, As and, evidenced uh, by your chuckling I know. name. <laughs> my, my typical Mason chuckle. Um, yeah, I really like that one. It's, it's silly. It's, it's really cute. And it's, uh, you know, it's about accepting those who are different and not being prideful. And then uh, number two, the blue umbrella. I just really liked how that one came together from the music to, um, you know, the, powerful powerful rendering and lighting that they achieved um and then uh, just really subtle cute characterization of everyday objects in the city that we may not even notice and then number one is presto oh my gosh that thing was presto was entertaining on a level that like chuck jones or tex avery could have pulled off like just it like it wasn't necessarily slapstick it was just hilarious action and very, very creative on how they did all the gags with the, the the rabbit in the hat. And I really enjoyed it. So, yeah. For the birds, Blue Umbrella, and then Presto. All right. So my three, um, I need a little bit more time with lava to be able to digest it and really see where it falls. So I'm not going to include that mm, in my top Digest the lava. 
quite yet. <laughs> yes, watch out. Let I'm it fine. burn. <laughs> All right. So my um, number one. I guess I'll go the Mason round. My number three is Bounden. I love Bounden. I think that the story <laughs> that it's able to tell is just hilarious. And uh, the music is so great. I love that song, Bound, Bound, Bounding, Rebound. It's just, it's one of those ones that gets stuck in your head. And when you think of the, you know, the title of this, you just smile. And so for that reason, it's my number three. Number two is Day and Night. And a lot of people don't really put this in their favorites, but the reason I love it is because this was during this time it came out um, when we weren't quite sure what the future of 2D animation was. And, you know, for a while there was a period that it was just, it was like this um, lost art of the something that from a bygone age. And so anything we got that was somewhat 2D animated, I really gravitated to. And so just the time period that this came out, I have a lot of personal feelings and excitement about uh, 2D animation. I just love the way that it's able to combine 2D and and CGI so well. Um, the story isn't anything revolutionary per se. It's just kind of, it's more gimmicky than anything, but I love it for that reason. And then number one, Jerry's Game. I think Jerry's Game is the epitome of all Pixar shorts. Um, Jerry is such a great character. I mean, they should just yeah. get rid of the lamp and make Jerry their mascot. <laughs> <laughs> Jumps on the. <laughs> Mason, you could do a Pixar parody. Please um, do all your animation skills and make that happen. Oh, I Seriously. need a Jerry's game rig off of the internet. You're gonna get a million likes. Yes, you are. Thumbs up oh, on YouTube. Man. I'm telling you, do it. It's all for the likes, man. So, what makes Pixar shorts so great, in your opinion? Oh, or are they just, even great? Just I'm the, just assuming. Oh, well, I mean, aren't they just the top standard of of I mean, animated short films. I I remember watching the Academy Award nominated animated short films and and live action in Salt Lake um, a couple years ago. That was the one when Lava was nominated. And no, uh, Luna, La Luna. Oh, Lava, La Luna. There's a lot of Luna. And secret access, right? <laughs> oh, I wish. Uh, no, but this one was La Luna, and I still enjoyed it. But um, that one's that was the one that really, really stood out. I can't really remember any of the other ones. There was one that I think came from a university. There was, oh yeah, that one was the one with um, Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Mm-hmm. Morris Lesmore. Yeah. Uh, and then um, that one was okay, but just Pixar just excels by how simple yet self-contained their stories are when they do short films. Like they pack so much into such a short amount of time as an animation student, you know, not I've done a couple of them and it's harder to do a short film than it is to do a, a feature length film. Not that I've been involved in any feature length films, but the shorter time span you have, the the bigger challenge you have. Mm-hmm. Like imagine if you had to give us, if you had to produce a 30 second animated short, like, uh, like we did in our, in our program last semester, like you can't waste anything. You have to get to the point, but also take your time and have the make the pacing perfect, but don't bore the audience, you know, but don't lose the punchline, but you know, and so um you really have to hand it to Pixar. Not that other studios don't do short films very well. It's just that Pixar stands out. Uh most of the time or a lot of the time they'll show off their new tech in their short films, and that's always a, a big deal. Yeah, that's really all I have to say about it. Pixar just rocks at short films. You know, and it's kind of unfair almost because every year (laughs) Pixar has a contender for the Oscar and they just have so much 
you know, horsepower and just people and money behind them that's able to make these amazing shorts. Um, and so I always kind of feel bad for the other animators and studios or even colleges that are up against them um, because they you really have to stand out and be above and beyond great to, to beat Pixar most of the time. Yeah. Um, you know, because Pixar is the best of the best. They hire the best story talent. They hi- hire the best ar- artistry and animation talent. So, um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all really enjoy the output, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, on to the main event, everyone. Inside Out, the moment you've all been waiting for. We have been for. waiting for it a long time. It was, it's been two when years. When did we first talk about this? Oh, well, we... I remember... Well, initially back in our Swan Princess episode, which was in 2012, which we had, <laughs> yeah, we did not talk about it. But Kelsey <laughs> and I initially talked about this way back when, um, you know, that was 2012. This, this concept has been in the mind of Pete Doctor since around 2009, really actively sorting, starting to develop this film. But uh, do you remember forever? We, we, knew this film as the untitled Pixar movie that takes you inside the mind. Like, talk yeah, about exactly. Hunk, Mr. Not really <laughs> yeah, that's, just a that's mouthful. A, yeah, that's a clear deviation from Pixar's, um, you know, four-syllable maximum for for the titles of their movies. Yeah, but what I was saying is it's been two years since we've had a Pixar film for a while, or basically since, um, I believe, uh, since Cars. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> let me let me just double check. Oh, this. here come the fact police. Pixar. Well, brave. I, I, uh, yeah, and no, no, while no. we're on the while we're on the the subject of fact police, um, I meant that as a joke. I know that the Incredibles is five syllables. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah, it was. I was right. So basically, every year since Cars was released, we have gotten a Pixar film in theater. So it kind of became since two thousand six we've had a Pixar film every single year. And then it ended with Monsters University because The Good Dinosaur got pushed. Um, and so it was supposed to be released last year and Maleficent took its place. And so that was kind of shaky because we didn't get our Pixar fix. But never fear, everybody. The wait was worth it because Inside Out is really stellar. That and we're getting another Pixar film by the end of the year. Yeah. Woo-hoo. They're making up for it. The fact that we didn't get one last year. So, of course, this is Pete Doctor, co-directed by Ronaldo Del Carmen, or I guess you can call them co-directors. Mm-hmm. Just some interesting, you know, tidbits about this. Uh, this is actually the first Pixar film not to have a Steve Jobs involvement. As you know, he was um, he was owner of the company for a while and eventually sold it to Disney. But he was always very involved, uh, as he was with most everything in his life and work career. <laughs> but this was the first film that didn't have his touch at all. Uh, he died in 2011, and I don't think this was really fleshed out too much at this point for him to have been involved when he did die. Um, same same is true with John Lasseter. For the most part, John Lasseter didn't have the, the typical input that he had previously because around this time that this film was being developed, he started taking over for Walt Disney Animation Studios and started restructuring that and making sure you know that studio was back on track. So very impressive that normally these 
these figureheads that helped lead and guide films, at least Pixar films over the years, um, those were gone. And yet still, it was such a fantastic film. And that's just a testament to Pete Docter and how great of a director he is and a storyteller. Yeah, give definitely give Pete Docter um, credit. But as Ed Catmull said, it, you have to trust the system. And the Pixar system is very, very conducive to brilliant ideas and, and brilliant work you know, and, and great talent and hard work to really achieve these films. And so now we know that you don't necessarily need the, the touch of John Lasseter for your, your Pixar film to be successful. A couple of my, one of my friends, uh, Jeff, who's in grad school with me, he said, uh, he made the comment that Pixar is back. I guess maybe it was the time gap he was referring to, but I really didn't think that Monsters U was all that bad, but maybe there was a, a period of time when, uh, there, Maybe we didn't feel like um, there was a Pixar film out currently that uh, that really gave us, you know, an emotional impact or, or you know, was really powerful. You know, something mm-hmm. like Up or Finding Nemo. And I've heard a lot of people compare this one to Up. Well, yes, yeah. both of them were P. Doctor. Oh well. And I feel like P. Doctor has that. Like he's just always trying to get into that spot where it just like you're everybody's a little bit bruised in their heart somewhere and he's just the type that like wants to go in and, and like push it like push that little bruise and make it hurt a little bit more <laughs> yep as, Ma- as matthew mcconaughey said as matthew mcconaughey said that's the sweet spot right <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this film has done extraordinary well in just the short amount of time that oh, it's yeah. been released. It came out on June 19th, 2015 in the U.S., and it had a, an amazing opening weekend that was overshadowed by another, you know, film that is taking over the box office, Jurassic World. It oh, placed gosh. number two that weekend to Jurassic World just by a little bit. And its opening numbers were $91 million, which is huge. Not only it's huge for um, a Pixar film, it's the second largest opening weekend for a Pixar film other than Toy Story 3. But just in general, it is the most, uh, the highest grossing original concept film, meaning a film that wasn't derived from a sequel or an adapted work such as a book. So very, very cool. It totally blew the previous record holder out of the water, which was Avatar, at 77 million so beat it by you know 14 million um and still you know it just it was just such a shame that it wasn't able to overtake jurassic world and even last weekend i thought okay jurassic world is definitely going to go down and it didn't jurassic world inched him out just by uh four three or four million dollars it ended up doing uh, inside out ended up doing around 50-ish million and um as of today, it's done 185 million domestically and 266 million worldwide, and it hasn't even been out, you know, two weeks. Yeah. So yeah. incredible! I can't wait to see where this falls when its entire theater run is done. It's going to be up there. It's yeah, exciting, it's- and it's and it's a sure it's a victory for original original content. You know, like it's it so really funny. Is. Because, you know, just a month before we had Tomorrowland, which was Brad Bird, another Pixarian who, you know, everyone knew it was going to do amazingly well. And it just did it. And then, you know, there came this announcement from Disney that they were going to scrap all these, uh, you know, new concepts and just move to, you know, remakes and whatnot. And then we have this. And I'm wondering if now... Disney is kind of scratching their head like what? they don't know what to do anymore. I hope this <laughs> gives them some faith in other ideas out there that are original, animated or not, because we need more of them. Yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely. Well just said. Think, well just said. look at this movie and how it's like challenged how we think about the mind and growing up like this brought completely new ideas to the forefront of discussion. Like people have been talking about Inside Out nonstop for the past few weeks um, just because it was able to bring us something we hadn't seen before. And mm-hmm. that was exciting. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, there was a new um, Avengers movie and we, a new character was introduced. Yay. I mean, it, the level Nobody of discussion died. on this film <laughs> is just so much different than, than anything previous. Well, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, today I was at work and I had some of my other coworkers come in and my one coworker, she said, Chelsea, I had to tell you this because I saw Inside Out and I want to know what you think. And my other coworker <laughs> was like, I saw it too. I want to talk about it too. And all three of us, we were just like really wanting to talk to it, which I'll be honest, that doesn't always happen <laughs> with the coming out of every animated film. Not everybody is like, oh, I mean, yes, I have, I've been dubbed the animation girl um, at work. Work, but most people everybody. don't even see them. Yeah, <laughs> so there's exactly. no discussion to be had. <laughs> exactly. But now everybody not only wants to say that they saw it, but wants to have a discussion on it and wants to have this like back and forth, which is really cool. <laughs> yeah, even discussion a lot of rule. times with adults that you know I interact with who see animated films, they see it because of their kids, and they usually say, "Oh, it was cute," and then the discussion goes nowhere. So to hear that these discussions are happening, you know, online and in in person with friends and acquaintances and coworkers. It's just really cool. Well, let's talk about these ideas. So for the uninitiated, uh, Pixar hashes out and conceives and works out uh, its original ideas and what's called the brain trust. And that's a, a tight knit and very, you know, trusted group of uh, mostly directors, but some, it can, it can vary. Usually John Lasseter is there. Well, usually Catmull's there. Just think of it as an extremely intense brainstorming session by a bunch of creative geniuses. I mean, can you even imagine? And, uh, you know, Ed Catmull wrote his book, Creativity Incorporated, which is a terrific book uh, on management for one, but also just an inside look on how Pixar is managed. And this led me to the conclusion that uh, Pixar is is one of the best managed uh, animation studios out there. And he has an entire sequence that's dedicated to taking us inside uh, almost a shot-for-shot recounting of a brain trust meeting where Inside Out was first pitched by Pete Docter. And so it's like like three and a half pages, really good stuff. And so um, if you will permit me a dramatic reading... Maybe not that dramatic. <laughs> yes. But we'd love to just read this this part because not only does it talk about, you know, the earliest proto ideas of Inside Out, it goes into the brain trust meeting and all the awesome creative input that goes into launching titles like this. So this is what Ed Catmull says. To get a clear sense of how candor is delivered at Pixar, I want to take you inside a brain trust meeting. This one followed an early screening of a Pete Doctor film, then known as the untitled Pixar movie that takes you inside the mind. The premise for the film had emerged straight out of Pete's cranium, and it was predictably ambitious, layered, and complex. Already, Pete and his team had spent months hashing out those whose mind exactly he was going to take viewers inside of and what those viewers would ultimately find when they got there. As brain trusts go, this was a crowded one with about 20 people at the table and 15 more in chairs against the walls. Everyone grabbed plates of foods on the way in, and after a small talk, we got down to business. Earlier before the screening, Pete had described what they'd come up with so far in terms of the overall uh, conceit of the film and the specific story points that he hoped would connect with the audience. 
What's inside the mind, he asks his colleagues, your emotions. And we've worked really hard to make these characters look the way those emotions feel. We have our main character, an emotion called Joy, who is effervescent. She literally glows when she's excited. Then we have Fear. He thinks of himself as confident and suave, but he's a little raw nerve and tends to freak out. The other uh, characters are anger and sadness. Her shape is inspired by teardrops and disgust, who basically turns up her nose at everything. And all these guys work at what we call headquarters. And that got a laugh, as did many scenes in the roughed-out 10-minute preview that followed, which everyone agreed had the potential to be, like Pete's previous film, up among our most original and affecting. As I've said, Pete is superb at teasing out subtle moments that are both funny and emotionally authentic. And this idea of bringing a person's competing emotions to life was inspired, rich with possibility. But as the brain trust came to life, there seemed to be a consensus that one of the movie's major scenes, an argument between two characters about why certain memories fade while others burn bright forever, was too minor to sufficiently connect audiences to the profound ideas the film was attempting to tackle. Pete is a big guy, six foot, four and a half, but despite his size, he projects an undaunted gentleness. This was an evidence in the conference room now as he listened to us parse what was amiss in this pivotal scene. His face was open, not pained. He'd been through this many times before, and he believed in its power to help him get where he was trying to go. Midway down the table, Brad Bird shifted in his chair. Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> you know that when Brad Bird shifts in his chair, something's, something's up. Brad joined Pixar in 2000 after having written and directed The Iron Giant at Warner Brothers, and his first movie for us was Los Increíbles, which opened in 2004. You know, The Incredibles. Brad is a born rebel who fights against creative conformity in any guise. I love it. The smell of artistic victory is his drug, and with his <laughs> rapid high-energy delivery, he will turn almost everything into a battle to win for the cause of creativity, even if there isn't anybody around to fight. <laughs> so it was no surprise that he was among the first to articulate his worries about the core of the story feeling too slight. I understand that you want to keep this simple and relatable, he told Pete, but I think we need something that your audience can get a little more invested in. Andrew Stanton spoke next. Andrew is fond of saying that people need to be wrong as fast as they can. I love that philosophy. In a battle, if you're faced with two hills and you're unsure which one to attack, he says the right course of action is to hurry up and choose. If you find out it's the wrong hill, turn around and attack the other one. In that scenario, the only unacceptable course of action is running between the hills. Now he seems to be suggesting that Pete and his team had stormed the wrong hill. I think you need to spend more time settling on the rules of your imagined world, he said. Every Pixar movie has its own rules that viewers have to accept, understand, and enjoy understanding. The voices of the toys in the Toy Story films, for example, are never audible to humans. The rats in Ratatouille walk on four paws, like normal vermin, except for Remy, our star, whose upright posture sets him apart. In Pete's film, one of the rules, at least at this point, was that memories, depicted as glowing glass globes, were stored in the brain by traveling through a maze of shoots into a kind of archive. When retrieved or remembered, they'd roll back down another tangle of shoots like bowling balls being returned to bowlers at the alley. Oh, yeah. I like that imagery. That particular construct was elegant and effective, but Andrew suggested that another rule needed to be firmed up and clarified. How memories and emotions change over time as the brain gets older. This was the moment in the film, Andrew said, to establish some key themes. Listening to this, I remembered how in Toy Story 2, the addition of Wheezy immediately helped establish the idea that damaged toys could be discarded, left to sit, unloved, on the shelf. Andrew felt there there was a uh, similarly impactful opportunity here that was being missed, and thus was keeping the film from working, and he said so candidly. Pete, this movie is about the inevitability of change, he said, and of growing up. This said Brad off. 
Oh my gosh, you never want to set Brad Bird off. <laughs> a lot of us in this room have not grown up, and I mean that in the best way, he said. The conundrum is how to become mature, how to take on responsibility and become reliable, while at the same time preserving your childlike wonder. People have come up to me many times, as I'm sure has happened to many people in this room, and said, gee, I wish I could be creative like you. That would be something to be able to draw. But I believe that everyone begins with the ability to draw. Kids are instinctively there. But a lot of them unlearn it, or people tell them they can't, or it's impractical. So yes, kids have to grow up, but maybe there's a way to suggest that they could be better off if they held onto some of their childish ideas. Pete, the thing I want to to give you a big round of applause for is this. This is a freaking big idea to try to make a movie about. Brad continued his voice full of affection. I said to you on previous films, you're trying to do a triple backflip into a gale force wind, and you're mad at yourself for not sticking the landing. Like, it's amazing you're alive. What you're doing with this film is the same, and it's the kind of thing that nobody else in the movie industry is doing with a sizable budget. Boy, isn't that the truth? So, huge round of applause. Brad paused as everybody clapped. Then he grinned at Pete, who grinned back, and you're in for a world of hurt, Brad said. This is such a great, <laughs> such a great look into the mind of Brad Bird. I know, right? A character study, if you will. Almost <laughs> done, folks. An important corollary to the assertion that the brain trust must be candid is that filmmakers must be ready to hear the truth. Candor is only valuable if the people on the receiving end is open to it and willing, if necessary, to let go of things that don't work. Jonas Rivera, the producer of Pete's film, uh, tries to make the painful process easier by doing something he calls headlining the main points of a brain trust session for whichever director he's assisting, distilling the many observations down to a digestible takeaway. Once this brain trust meeting wrapped up, this is exactly what he did for Pete, ticking off the areas that seemed the most problematic, reminding him of the scenes that resonated most. So what did we blow up, Jonas asked, and what did we go backwards on, and what do you love? Is what you loved about the film different now than it was when we started? The way the movie opens, Pete responded, I love. Jonas raised his hand in a salute. Okay, that's the movie then, he said. How we set up the story has to handshake with that. I agree, Pete said. They were on their way. Awesome. So, excellent book. You really have to check it out if you're a Pixar yes. fan. If you're but not, just, if, I'm going to say, if you are in any business ever trying to lead people in anything, you need to look at this book. But that's just me. Continue. You can find it on rotoscopers.com slash Amazon or rotoscopers.com slash Audible if you want to listen to it. Really? Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, it's I not have as, the audiobook version. Me too. Yeah, and I know the audiobook version isn't as awesome as yours truly narrating it, it or, no, or reading it. It's not. Um, but it is still a free trial and it's awesome. Check it out. <laughs> I mean, what right. more needs to be said? These brain trust sessions are amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think right. of... You know, that was just one session and how much they were able to get out of that and how, like, without guile they were and candid they were. And just they are there because they want is what is best for the story, not necessarily yeah. what the director has invested in it, whatnot. They want what's best for the story and ultimately the movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's talk about big ideas. And, and more important, well, actually, this one specifically is a big question. Do you all think that Inside Out is for kids? And I'll, I'll preface that with a uh, with a comment. I I saw in a few review, uh, reviews apparently that were from parents who were disappointed with the film that it wasn't as entertaining for kids as it should have been. What do y'all think? That's a, first off, that is a shame that parents are disappointed <laughs> that they they take their par- their kids to a movie and they expect 
them, they expect the filmmakers to pander to the lowest common denominator, which is the children. Not the yeah, fact that children this are the lowest common denominator. <laughs> well, just, you know, they, they did. They pandered. You know, and that's what they expect. Like, it's going to be funny. It's going to have gags. My kids are going to love it. They're going to stay entertained the whole time. But this movie is so much more than that. They should want more films like this for their kids because it gets their kids to think and to understand and to process the world around them or inside them in a a way that, you know, maybe not 100% scientifically true. We don't have actual little things in our head that. Yeah, it's it's that's not how it works. But the way that it's able to depict and tell these themes translates to children to help them better understand and live in the world that they live in. Yeah, I agree with Morgan. I do not think that this film deserves to be a kids movie. And parents should be forewarned that they might have a hard time keeping their children entertained and laughing constantly, whatever they want, desired outcome that they're looking for during Inside Out. There's some there's some action comedy, but it's not slapstick slapstick. You I know? mean, how old are their kids? That I'm, uh, my niece and nephew went to it, and they were ten and seven, and they loved the film. I didn't I will, hear that they I will didn't admit, like it. I will admit that I did not hear very many laughs. Uh, There's this one kid who was a really annoying. He was like six or something, and he would just <laughs> laugh with this like shrieky laugh every time that Brazilian uh, helicopter pilot would show up. <laughs> Come with me, gatinha. <laughs> sounds yeah. like an outlier. Oh, well. It. Yeah, and so uh, not a lot of fart jokes, no gibberish-speaking yellow minions running around naked in this film. Not that the minions are terrible, but you just can't compare. Right. And so I wish there was a system to warn parents, like, hey, this isn't a kid's film necessarily. But also it it should be something to kind of tell that to the older kids too you know because older kids my nephew he was he's 14 now and he was like oh, i don't really want to go see it blah 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 and then oh, my typical sister 14 year old right and my <laughs> sister was like you know should should he go see it would, would he like it and i'm like yeah i think he would like it more than the other kids just because he's at an age where he can appreciate this type of stuff and you know i feel like in most of pixar movies they kind of have this way of they kind of go to that, as I was t- saying before, that poignant part of of childhood or that part of the heart where you, you just start remembering that navigating between kiddom and, you know, adulthood is like messy and painful. And Inside Out is different from the rest of them because it, it essentially makes that its own plot. Like mm-hmm. that is its plot. And a lot of younger kids aren't really going to be as into it. And we'll even see in some of the... Um, in one of the voicemails we got, too, they they kept saying that it was really dark. It was very um, depressing or something. I've gotten that a few times, too, talking to different people. It's like it was super sad. And it's like sadness. Oh, I don't wow. like this sadness thing. You know, at, the, at least at the beginning, that's what that's most people That's exactly what the film wants them to think. I know. Um, but, you know, it's like for those kids at who first. are like six, seven, and eight, when you still have this belief that, you know... I'm a kid, therefore, you know, all I really want is joy. Sadness is no fun, so keep that away. You know, it's, you're not going to be able to really appreciate, you know, the depth of it. Yeah, depth, complexity, um, you know, hard lessons to learn. And these aren't necessarily what's on the forefront of like five and six year olds' kids' minds. You know, mostly they just want to laugh and be entertained and, See the pretty princesses, and although I, I I guess it's evident that younger children were entertained by this film, I don't 
I, I think that the entertainment value was for all audiences because this movie brought animation into an art form mm-hmm. and it needs See, to be appreciated. This is a, a conundrum or just an issue that that marketers in for animated films have is do we take a risk where we only do the marketing towards the adults and hope that they go see it and also take their kids? Or do we, you know, we advertise to the children and hope that the parents will obviously will, will like it as well. I, it's, it's very interesting. And the characters in this film, they were exaggerated. They were super cartoony. And I think just all the bright colors. And I think that gave the impression that this was a kid's film, quote unquote, um, when it wasn't. It was so much more than a kid's film. You got to hand it to Pixar. They, you know, they have such a hardcore emphasis on research and then uh, spending considerable time, you know, quote unquote, getting it right and really making sure that the idea is cultivated in a, in a great creative environment. I will admit some of the things were hard for me to swallow, Um, like all of the rules, like, oh, this is abstract thought and, you know, and this is um, dreams and this is her subconscious. This is where all her worst fears are and, all, you know, all that stuff. So some of that was hard for me to grasp. But the fact that they spent so much time really pounding that in and kind of chiseling out those rules, um, it, it made the film believable. Right. You know, it's interesting. I kind of saw the rules like a little kid. OK, I'll be honest. I kind of saw all the rules in the exposition as though my seven year old self was writing the story because they just kind of it just. The way they laid it all out was so relatable to like that seven year old who's just kind of off in their own little world and creating this whole story as they go. And it makes no sense. Like it makes sense. But at the same time, you like as an adult, you look at it and you're like, wow, where is that coming from? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I kind of saw this as just kind of how he did it was so childlike. And I think that's one of the reasons why it worked because you could kind of believe that a kid would be thinking of the things that are most important in my life, you know, that I would use to describe me. I'm going to make an, there'll be islands over here and be connected to this, you know? So I really appreciated that and how they did the exposition. Yeah. Yeah. The rules are spelt out in a very simple and clear way so that they're easy to understand. And that's definitely a talent that Pixar, um, Pixar has. Mm Mm-hmm. Cohen brothers are also really good at that. They have a lot of films where the exposition just spelled out everything in the, in the in film universe and it's easy to understand. Okay. So Riley herself, I think she's really cool. She's one of my favorite Pixar characters just because of how human they made her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? For one, Pixar's come a long way since like the plasticky look of Andy oh, and his yeah. mom and everybody from the Toy Story days. <laughs> Um, I should hope so yeah. 20 years later. <laughs> yeah, we really hope so. You know, I think if there was a if there was a film that character looks and styles would fit the most in, it would probably be Toy Story. Like, they don't quite fit into the incredible, like, as far yeah. as, like, shape and design. Definitely not up. Um, maybe Ratatouille, but probably not. So this is probably closer to Toy Story. And um, so, who knows? Might be a little crossover there. Mm-hmm. And I think what I like about her is that she's uh, she she could represent any child. You know, they figured out a good good neutral uh, design for her. Mm-hmm. So I loved Riley's design. Like she was so plain. That's just the best that I could use to describe her. And it perfectly typifies being an awkward preteen. I mean, we were all there, and we all looked like that. 
nothing glamorous about her design whatsoever. And it was so real because they did that. And I was actually looking through the art book and I was looking at other concept designs that they had for Riley and certain ones, she was much cuter and she, you know, had the curly hair and the dimples and the big smile and she was adorable, so much more vis- visually appealing. You see that and you kind of light up and you're you're attracted to that. However, I'm so glad that they went in a completely different desi- direction with her design because it shows that she's, you know, not everything has to be, you know, totally gorgeous and pretty. She's she's just normal. And the story was just about someone who was normal. And I think that because, you know, she was kind of ambiguous in her design. She's not necessarily super girly, not necessarily super, you know, boyish, that it, she appealed to both genders, which is really yeah. important. And never mind. Just. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, in, in animation, I mean, one of the biggest principles is character appeal. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the character looks good. It just means that they are relatable. And uh, Riley is just that, and um, and yeah, you, you mentioned something about like the you know her being plain. You know, the the world outside of her mind is very bleak and, and dismal at times, and it's mm-hmm. reality, you know. And so I like that the movie went there. And um, whenever you make a film or, or any creative endeavor, you got to worry about scope. And I know at uh, when it was originally pitched, there was uh, several more emotions planned. Um, in, in the conceptualization of the film. Again, you got to think about scope and really, um, you know, whittling it down. As I was watching this movie, I was thinking, okay, why five emotions? Are there not, I mean, clearly we are, we have so many more emotions in our minds and in our, in our brain that happen, but they specifically went with five emotions because they went off, uh, a famous professor from the, from Berkeley. And he has identified six core emotions, anger, fear, sadness, disgust, joy, and surprise. So they actually found that surprise and fear were very similar. And so they decided to cut it for simplicity. And I think that was the perfect way to go because having five characters is manageable. But then once you get six, there's just a lot happening. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's a lot happening in the brain. There's probably thousands of emotions that happen. Um, But for this story to simplify the ever, you know, expansive world of the mind five is just enough so bye-bye surprise bye-bye yes so we we start the movie with joy let's just do a like a a quick quick discussion on on all the emotions joy amy poehler um i liked her but i got amy poehler overload after a while do you know what i mean (laughs) yeah see i didn't really associate that i i didn't associate her voice actress with uh, the character I'm I know Amy Fuller and I've seen her SNL and lots of things that she's done and I love her but for some reason I personally was able to take separate the two which was good mm-hmm. maybe I was invested in the story or just not thinking too much about the voice actress but I definitely could see how that was possible and happened because she was the main character other than Riley and Sadness and speaking of Sadness I think she was like the runaway star of this film along with Bing Bong absolutely She's the most interesting character for me because we, we talked about in the brain trust. There are rules that had to be established. Well, she's the character that can break the rules that we thought we knew at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, and then she reveals this awesome lesson about the relationship between joy and sadness, and also that um, you know the big reveal that memories can be both joyful and sad. It doesn't have to be necessarily one or the other, and 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 both can be good. You know that her Absolutely. her scene with her scene with Bing Bong when when Joy tries her fierce optimism, you know, to to get him to to you know to you know dust himself off and keep going, but it just doesn't work. And then sadness sits down and says, 
you know, it's really sad and it's horrible, but I bet at the time it was, you know, y'all had a lot of great memories and, and blah, 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 blah. And that made being bong feel better. And so mm-hmm. it, it goes into the different methods of coping with life. And sadness is such a huge part of that. Phyllis Smith is amazing. I love her. I loved her on The Office. And then she was, you know, in several other movies where she basically plays the same character. <laughs> but, but seeing her in a, um, seeing her voice be a little more dynamic, you know, and a little, have a little more range for an animated film was really, really cool. Some people said they didn't like her or that she didn't stand, she stood out too much, but I thought she was just perfect for this design and for this role. I thought it was great. As you were reading the pages from Creativity Inc., it made me realize how Andrew Stanton was the one that, you know, the moment that sadness tries to touch everything and everything starts turning sad, how those, it's like, I like how he was the one that said, I think you should focus on how memories can change over the years. How even though it goes from, you know, everything's happy to now because add something other, one other element in there, it is now sad. And how all of these things, like, I was like, whoa, that's so cool. And just how sadness, at first, everyone was just like, hey, get in your corner, stay there, don't, don't touch anything. Um, but really, that is what Riley needed in order to cope and in order to move past this hurdle of life changes. Yeah. Okay, so there's fear, voiced by Bill Hader. I like how they explain that some of these uh, these emotions that seem negative are actually beneficial because fear helps you not get yourself killed, you know, mm-hmm. or not get into situations that would get you killed. Yep. And so um, I appreciated that. You know, um, fear was kind of a, a surprise hit for me. I, I, I liked his character, even though I'm not a Bill Hader fan. I'm a Bill Hader hater. Yeah, totally hater. <laughs> I actually didn't like fear that much. Fear was out of the five, the one who blended in the background the most. Um, I don't know if that's because I personally don't have a lot of fear in my life, but uh, I'm not afraid of your typical spiders, snakes, bugs, or scary Mm. movies don't really bug me. But um, I just didn't really connect with him as much as I did disgust or I guess anger. Yeah, if I were to rate the emotions, it would be joy, sadness, disgust, anger, fear. Mm. All right. And then disgust. Oh, my gosh. If you're listening, Mindy Kaling. I love you. She was the best. If oh you're out there somewhere, I think you're awesome. Oh, we didn't get enough of her. I really did. Hey, do you think it, it was true that her final design was meant to resemble broccoli? Because you know they made such a big deal about broccoli in the in the film. Well, you know, I wouldn't quite know because the art book has no commentary for the most part. It is just you're kidding. It's just images. It's I just hate it when art books do tons that. and tons and tons of art, which it's an art book. It's the art of Inside Out, as it should. But we've become so accustomed to art books being more like making of books. Yeah, annotative. So there was very little text for the most part. They wanted the art to speak for themselves. And while that was good because we got jam-packed with a lot of art, I still felt that I wasn't able to learn about the process. Like, that is something, if that really were true, that she was designed after Broccoli, that really um, I would have learned from the text of the book and just being able to, you know, read a little bit about the development of the character. Instead, I kind of had to infer. And so I guess that's just what the bonus features of the Blu-ray are for. They're making us buy both, which I'm not complaining. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and then Anger, who, uh, Lewis Black, I, I don't know him very well, but he does a very good job of, <laughs> of doing this emotion. I, I love his little, um, 
his little gimmick when he just has a an over an overload of anger and he just has a tantrum and it fire spouts out of his head, you know, and he's <laughs> like, ah! Oh man, I love it. I love how you can see Riley react to when each motion emotion takes control. Mm-hmm. Since we're not really going scene by scene, it's more philosophical. This discussion, you know, this had me thinking, and I'm sure they did this on purpose. Um, do the in this film and in life, do the emotions control us, or do we cho- control the emotions? I there think didn't seem to be a lot of controlling of the emotions by no. the because you're young and typically you're driven by your emotions and you let them control you and you just react. As you get older, you're able to be more in control of when, you know, a scary situation happens or control your anger or your joy. And I think as you mature, you have a bigger grasp on that. But then at the same time, um, in the film, I did feel that it tried to make it seem like the emotions were controlling her, but it's even more than that. I think the emotions are her. So it's not like they were controlling her. They just are her. They exist. So when the emotion does something, that's Riley doing something. That's mm-hmm. not one controlling the other. It's just simultaneous action. Oh, I think you also can take into consideration how when the mom came in and she said, oh, I just want to thank you for always just being that happy girl and you're just doing great. Can we just keep smiling during this time? And well, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing or a diss on the mom for doing that, but it's, you can also see where Riley takes like all of from that moment on all of the emotions are like happy girl happy let's let's get get that in in order but they can't take it so like they're trying they're trying to like have one emotion in, in charge but i think in life you kind of have to be aware of all of your emotions and not necessarily control them but be aware of them because you can't like there's one part where sadness almost falls into the to the pit like she almost falls off the cliff and in my head i'm thinking are you able to lose sadness like kill sadness because that as i was like is this gonna be part of the rules i don't know yeah Um, they got pills for that (laughs) exactly (laughs) but then it's like yeah there are definitely people that you know they because of some traumatic experience they go numb and then they end up in order to stop feeling that pain they shift over to either anger or to the joy side where they just kind of stay away from sadness, but then they're not able to cope with things because they're not giving sadness its day to kind of just work its magic of helping you heal and helping you kind of move forward and get over things. Yeah. Well, I I think that's maybe one of the main conflicts of that joy the character has in the film is that she feels the need to dominate what's going on Mm -hmm. in the mind and the other emotions seem to understand that you know joy is a you know she's a very powerful emotion she's been there the longest and it's important that riley is happy and Mm -hmm. they understand that but at the same time joy still has to kind of learn the lesson you know like you said chelsea that some other emotions need to take their course and work themselves out in absence of joy Mm -hmm. and and that's another hard lesson to learn and it addresses it very well did y'all like the personality islands i thought those were kind of cool you didn't see enough of them though they just kept falling oh that was a sad moment and but at the same time as that was happening you sort of it were internalizing at least i was i was thinking about myself or other people i know and just thinking 
Yeah, that happens. There are parts of you that go away and they change. And particularly Goofball Island was, you know, went away from me. (laughs) That is true. But for her, that was that was something that we were introduced to very beginning. Just she was just this goofy little girl and she was so fun. And her parents loved that. It was one of the most key parts of her personality. And it just crumbled and you didn't know if it was going to be rebuilt. Um, and turns out that it, it, it didn't. Yeah. But that's what happens in life is that we evolve and things change. And especially when you're going from, you know, you're in your adolescent years, you'd be going from childhood to teenage years. There's a switch that goes off in a lot of kids where, you know, they put away childish things, whether consciously or unconsciously, mm-hmm. um, and they just move on. Yeah. And some parts of that go. People get a lot more serious. People maybe not on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, also, this was something that I found very interesting. We've all talked about different like um, personality books that they have out there. So you got the Myers-Briggs. I've also read one called The Color Code. And The Color Code was really interesting blue. because, yeah, it, there's every person kind of goes by their color based on their main emotion that kind of... T- takes over yellow being the the effervescent the the excited the everything's going to be happy fun you've got the red who is the more domineering dominant type personality and then you also have the white that's more of loving and you know trying to just meshes over everything gets along with everybody and then there's blue that is the more of the thoughtful sad not so much sad but the in touch with emotions maybe yeah a little bit more in touch with the emotions and more empathetic I guess you could say, which I thought was really cool that you could kind of see that in the parents, too. When you looked inside their minds and which of the main characters was in charge of their mind, like the mom was blue, the dad was red, you know, those types of personalities that just kind of stand out. Yeah. What's interesting when you go into the parents' minds, it didn't seem like the mom's, the one that looked like sadness, she didn't seem very sad, but she seemed like the leader. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the red one should be anger, but he didn't seem very angry, and neither did anyone else. There was, you know, the foot is down, sir, the foot (laughs) is down. He didn't seem very scared. And so um, I guess there are different interpretations for each person, but boy, that's a whole different discussion, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so before we talk about a character who actually did disappear forever and we were supposed to be okay with it, can we just talk about the gum commercial jingle? <laughs> <laughs> Triple I love gum. how they did it. <laughs> I love how they did it's random memories popping back, uh, random things popping back in your head. Oh, we just send this annoying thing up to headquarters sometimes. Hey, let's do it now. <laughs> <laughs> It's like your brain's just messing with you. Uh, I love it. You know, interesting fact about that, the voice of the Triple Dent gum commercial was actually a Pixar animator named, well, he works in for Pixar, uh, Nick Patera. And he is a YouTuber who's done a ton of Disney covers, and he's really, really awesome. And so this was actually his debut. He, nice. he announced it on his <laughs> on Twitter and on Instagram that he this is, you know, what he was able to do. And I'm wondering if you know he was just doing a scratch cool voice a, for it and then well, yeah that'd be cool it. if it was a ringtone or something yes our fans oh i want that now you know i loved you mentioned it was just so clever because that happens there were so many things about the mind and memory that 
they were able to conceptualize in a hilarious way that just made you think, oh, that's great. You know, there are things like trains of thought or abstract thought or just random memories or jingles that pop into your head. Trains just thought, are, are horrible reproductions of real life with horrible <laughs> acting and stuff like that. I or it. when she's in the train of thought, she knocks over, you know, some cards and their facts and ideas. And someone says, like, I can't tell the difference. It's like, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> Happens all the yeah. time. That's all. Yeah, all right. All right. It, the time has come. We have to talk about Bing Bong. Oh, Bing Bong. He, he really was the runaway character for this one. You know what? I thought he was going to be the villain. I'll just say it. <laughs> and I know I'm, I know I'm not alone. Lotso ruined Ooh. Pixar for me. I was waiting for Bing Bong to just turn on joy and sadness and try to kill him. Be like, I'm taking over his, her mind. <laughs> <laughs> That would be quite good, but not as good as it ended up being. Uh, yeah, we've definitely been, uh, t- had been primed with the way that Disney and Pixar have been, you know, giving us their villains. It seems like, you know, we just had someone that there, actually there wasn't even a villain. And that was a breath of fresh air. And I feel like the surprise villain is so overdone right now over the past five years. Um, I, I was thinking to myself, Thanks, the, the no villain, not having a villain is the new surprise villain, <laughs> which is the new explicit villain. So that is the trajectory of villains over the years. So actually not having a villain, I appreciate it. Yeah, this is more like man or woman versus self. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, Bing Bong was just super charming. I didn't necessarily, uh, I don't know. I understood the logic behind his character design, but he was still kind of like weird looking to me. <laughs> but anyway, um, really, really heartbreaking when he sacrificed himself. Did you see and that coming? fades away. No, except for that one, except once he, once he said the line, sing louder, I was like, yeah. oh no, yep. he's mm-hmm. going to bail. Yeah. Big bong. Did you cry? Uh, no, I, I, only I, got, I only teared up once in this film and it wasn't during Bing Bong, but oh, I still, I, I was still, oof. I teared well, up zero sad. times he's, during he's, this film. He really? is sad. He, he's, he's, he's gone forever, man. I cried right when she was, when, um, when Joy was crying. I cried a lot at that point. And then also when Bing Bong sacrificed himself, I did cry at that point. Um, well, there, there's an awesome, yeah, there's the awesome scene where Joy is rem- is in the pit of forgottenness and uh, she's she's remembering all the things and instead of being joyful about it, she's sad. Mm-hmm. Because they're disappearing. Like all these, these moments that, you know, kind of were her creation. These were her, most of them are, are joyful moments that they're just kind of going away. Like, do you remember the way that she used to hold her tongue the way she would draw and all these little things. I mean, it's like a parent watching their kid kind of grow up and realizing it's not there anymore. Or even yourself looking and thinking, wow, I'm not that kid anymore. Like I'm, there's just a very big difference now. Yeah. Yeah. And and that was really sad. And the only, the one part that I teared up was when she's back with her parents and, um, Mm. and they're having their family hug. Hug it. And I was like, Oh, Oh, except when Bing Bong says, take her to the moon for me. Oh. oh, my gosh. You know that Pixar fans everywhere are going to demand that there's an Easter egg further on in a Pixar film where, like, you know, Riley's on astro- the moon. astronaut Riley goes to the moon or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's interesting because you look at, like, in Toy Story, you're looking at the forgotten thing and how they feel 
when the child grow, grows up and moves out of that and you feel really bad for what was left behind. But then this one, it's, it kind of shows you why you have to leave it behind. In, or, in order to really move on, to really progress, you do have to kind of move past those things. I thought it was just brilliant, brilliant the way they, they pulled all these things together. Yeah, I I really respect and love how Bing Pong Bing Pong Ping Pong <laughs> how Bing Bong does not come back. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I didn't like Bing Bong, it's just that it had to happen. This is a movie about growing up and letting go about a few about some things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she had already moved on to a point where he was almost non existent and so he really made that ultimate sacrifice to completely cut the tie and, and- be not along no longer a part of her life ever again but yeah he was kind of a for bum. her for her development it was worth it it had to happen yeah. <laughs> what did you guys think about you know the plot line where well i guess the, it's not a plot line it's a, a key part where you know these she moves there's this big event you know there's that moment in the school where she's crying you know she's just so emotional and this is really hard and you know that's a horrible event this is the one that triggers it all is that it's her first core memory that is sadness um and then this kind of puts her in this pit of despair for a while where joy is not present in her life and she's having a hard time coping with it she didn't quite go into a depression it was the beginnings of what could have been i remember reading that pete doctor initially she was going to have depression and actually go into that but they thought it was too dark mm-hmm. and i think the way that they did this was just perfect because um it lets you realize that there are key events in your life that that shape who you are and your personality and how you go from there on out and that moment of moving and then crying in front of class was one of those moments that she could have gone one way and just you know gone dark and and taking herself out of situations and not being present and then just, you know, getting lost in herself in a sad place or what ultimately happened at the end, she could have picked herself up out of it and regained her joyfulness and grown and gotten better. And I'm glad that's what happened. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So I liked a lot of the details. I liked a lot of the, the cool things that they invented, like dream studios, you know, Mm-hmm. I liked how I, lo- I loved you in Sparkly Rainbow Unicorn Three or whatever. <laughs> My friend says you're famous. <laughs> no, I didn't. Right. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> and then abstract thought was so weird. Ah, uh, I loved I liked it because it. it was something different that you didn't actually expect to happen. Like right when they said, "Oh, abstract thought," then you're like, "Oh, something's going to happen. It's going to be big." Look, it's um, just I right just- over there. <laughs> I love how it, it went from, you know, realistic, you know, our vision of what we are seeing and then so sort of a cubism to then just just flat line, like every aspect of abstract thought got, yeah, lost dimension and became flatter and flatter and more simplified. Mm-hmm. And that was just a really cool way to, you know, depict that. I've never tried to depict abstract thought, but now that's how I'm going to do it. I just draw a blob like a little amoeba. <laughs> Here I am, abstract thought. <laughs> I feel like I live in abstract thought a lot. Like mm-hmm. even as a kid, I would always like deconstruct things and think, I think that's what this means and that's what this leads to that and yeah, that's what this is. And like actually I've realized over the years it's one of it's one of my coping mechanisms is to go into abstract thought of like try to define things, look on other ways of you know, without actually 
getting into the you know emotional side, but just kind of like look at things from the outside. Yep. But can I, I just I want to throw in the clown. The clown, clown is great. Not <laughs> scary because I'm not afraid of clowns. But not at all. Um, one of my favorite parts is when they're in there and he's like, he just really wanted the candy, and so he's like <laughs> in the balloon cage, and then all you hear is the clown mumbling, "Who's who's the birthday girl?" Who's a birthday girl? <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, get ready. The International Society of Clowns are definitely going to protest this film because it portrayed clowns in a very negative light. Oh, good. A clown protest. It's basically a circus, <laughs> right? <laughs> a circus, just a, a little less happy. It's yeah. sort of like the circus in We're Back. Yeah. Right? The lepers. <laughs> it's a leper boat. Also... I have to throw in Riley's imaginary boyfriend. Oh, stole the show. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing part. I would die for you, Riley. I would die for Riley. It's like, I've never seen him before. I'm from Canada. <laughs> That's I pretty good. I die for you. And at the very end when they're all falling and like she's, for Riley. <laughs> oh, yeah, that part was really cute. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was a great, great moment. You know, after this, it all kind of comes together pretty well. Like, Joy comes in, saves the day, or or thinks so, but she realizes that she's been pretty mean to Sadness this whole movie. You know, kicking her to the corner. But then she gives her the chance to really take over, and she does. And the ending is such a heartbreaking moment, but there's also Joy because Riley did come back, and she ended up not making a horrible decision that, you know, who knows what the outcome would have been. And uh, her her mind is repaired. The damage done to her mind isn't necessarily reverse. It's just better in the end. It grows. Yep. I, I wish we still had the days when, when they did the quote-unquote bloopers for the, the animated characters, but I do like the credit scenes where we get to see inside everyone's minds as they're interacting with Riley and how different or how similar we all are. <laughs> the teacher, the one is like hitting his head on the globe. It's like, uh, uh, uh. I like that one. And then um, the cat seems to be the uh, the fan favorite. Yeah. See, the and, problem with, with this movie... Um, and discussing this movie, there's no problems with this movie, let me just tell you. But discussing this movie, there were so many funny moments, and we've only seen it, you know, once, maybe twice for some of us. And just we can't talk about all of those funny, hilarious moments at once. Just we need more time with this movie. I feel like we need to do another podcast on this movie so we can just geek out about all the jokes. Although we've done a fair job, I must say. But like, it out. seems like... I know Mesa was saying earlier, like, no one was laughing in this movie. Like, I was laughing like crazy. I loved all the jokes in this film. I I guess what I meant was that I didn't mean that no one was laughing. I just mean that, like, little kids weren't laughing. Oh, yeah. The adults certainly were. Like, we really were really enjoying ourselves. Mm -hmm. All right. So, you know, Pixar, they love their Easter eggs. They love their references. Here are some things to watch out for the next time you see Inside Out. And, um, you know, I caught a few of these. Uh, the majority uh, still need to kind of be confirmed. I, I've, I've taken them from a few various sources. Um, this is just the buzz right now, so don't shoot the messengers if some of these turn out to be not be true. All right. Uh, apparently, I did not see this. Some of the memory orbs show scenes from other Pixar films like Carl and Ellie's Wedding and Up. What? I did You're not see those, but... Riley was there? Oh, boy. Here comes the great, oh. all-powerful, indisputable <laughs> Pixar theory that binds the universe together. <laughs> it was just an Easter egg for Easter eggs, for Easter's sake. Um, yeah, Easter. Like, like I said, like I said earlier, Up's characters have a way different style and design than Inside Out, so I, I don't know how in, how seriously we should take that. How could Riley have been there when they got married? Like, 
nearly 50 years ago. Tell me. How? Holy cow. I don't know. <laughs> it's Cloud Atlas and she's reincarnated. All right. Um, so she there's also... A, the doors. Oh, boy. In Imagination Land, there's a, a board game called Find Me with a cartoon Nemo printed on the box. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked when Riley's Nightmare um, about her new house... Uh, starts playing and they play music from the haunted mansion from the Disney park. Yes. Yes. I, I recognize that one. I, I recognize uh, that. Right away. I was like, yes, thank you. Easter eggs. A, a haunted mansion fanboy like me is not going to miss something like that. <laughs> um, let's see. Hidden Mickey on the control console with the buttons. That one's easy. I did not see this anywhere, but according to Pete doctor, the pizza planet truck appears at least three times in the film. Mm. All right. I didn't see it. We once. have to go back and see it. <laughs> frame by frame. Go. Oh, a frame by frame. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, apparently, you can see Colette from Ratatouille on a magazine cover. Do you know who Figment the Dragon is? Yes. You know, from the Disney parks? Imagine mm-hmm. you. Uh, he's in Imagination Land somewhere. I, I think he's printed on something or he's like a discarded plush toy or something like that. Uh, of course, Lux- the Luxo Ball, I think I remember this one from one of Riley's flashbacks playing with Bing Bong. Mm-hmm. And then apparently, for a split second, you can see the birds from For the Birds on a power line while uh, Riley and her family are m- making the move to San Francisco. And then, of course, there are multiple A113 uh, references. Yes. So you'll just have to spot those yourself, but uh, it's not too hard to find them. I think it'd be harder to find the Pizza Planet truck in this one. So, yeah, so, next time you watch Inside Out, look for those and then, you know, nudge your fellow Pixar f- fan friend and be like, ooh, 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 I saw it, I saw it. <laughs> I guess the big question of the night is, is this the best Pixar film ever? Don't even get me started on the the fanatics uh, among the Pixar fan culture, but um, after honestly, after honestly evaluating this against other Pixar films, I walked out of, the, out of the theater knowing I enjoyed the film, but I could remember other Pixar films that had a more powerful impact on me. Absolutely. And, and this is just Mason's opinion. This is just from the book of Mason. It did not top the feels of Toy Story 3. Sorry. It did not top the emotional roller coaster that was Finding Nemo, for better or worse. And it just didn't match the sweetness of Up for me. And when I say that, a lot of hardcore Pixar fans are like, "Oh, but those are those are the old those are old Pixar films. We're talking about the new." Do not think for a second that I think this is an inferior movie. There were just other Pixar films that were even better, and that just proves how consistently awesome Pixar is. Yeah, so we put a poll on the website. We did a, an awesome series called the Pixar Rewind, and I'll include a link in the show notes so you can read it. And basically, every day leading up to Inside Out, we did movie um, in chronological order reviewing a Pixar film. So it started with Toy Story then A Bug's Life. And the last day we did a poll and we said, what is your favorite Pixar film? And as of time of recording, Inside Out is leading the polls, which is crazy to Hello. me. But this film has totally resonated with a lot of people and everyone, a lot of people are saying this is the best. I love it. It's my favorite. Me personally, it's not my favorite. It's amazing. I was very, very happy and satisfied with the, the results and the storytelling. But I think of films like The Incredibles and Ratatouille and the entire Toy Story trilogy. And to me, those at this point in time still are my number ones. Like I would rather watch those over Inside Out at this point in time. You know, also, I do need more time with this film before I can do a definitive ranking. Yeah. Um, but it's good. It's up there for sure. I'll agree and say it's not my favorite, but it is definitely up there. Oh, well, let's rate it while we're at it. Sure. 
I'm going to give it four and a half stars. Ooh. It made me think. It made me, you know, it got me in the emotions. Um, the music, I really liked the music, even though it wasn't necessarily iconic. It was, it was weaved in really well to a point where you were able to listen. Well, you didn't even really listen to it. It wasn't needed. It just, it just moved you so that you could think of other things as well. Um, so I really, I thought it was very emotive and very good. Very good. Very good. I will go ahead and give it four stars. It was not a perfect animated film. It wasn't my favorite, but it's still a really good one. There's nothing wrong with being a four star film. I am going to give it four and a half stars. It wasn't quite up to a five star level for me, which is epic, most amazing ever sort of feeling. Um, however, it did have a lot of elements that I enjoyed. I thought it was funny. I, th- I thought it had heart. It was experimental. It was imaginative. It was just all of those things. But at this point in time, it's my personal opinion. To me, it is a four and a half star film, which is not too shabby, I must say. Oh, more than not too shabby. I mean, there's... I mean, we're talking about why we didn't rate it as a perfect film, but at the same time, we you gotta. I mean, we still it, it's still super high. Like it was, a, it's a very successful, awesome film, and we really enjoyed it. Let us see what you all thought in our voicemail section. Hey, Rotoscopers, it's me, Katie. I'm here to give you my review of Inside Out. I promise this will be quick. I really liked it. It made me sad. I was watching with my friends, and I'm just like, is this Pixar's way of depicting depression? Because this is extremely sad. Even though it had funny parts, like everything Anger said made me laugh, but it was still like, when Riley was confessing with her parents, made me sad. Every time a little yellow orb turned blue, I got sad. I'm just like, stop making me cry, Pixar. It hurts. It hurts a lot. Also, some of my favorite parts, well, not my favorite parts, but some of the parts I really, um, were memorable to me was one, Ani Sea Island is Greek themed. I love Greece. It's like, I'm a hardcore myth mythology nerd so when honesty island went down i'm like no not the greek one i liked the greek themed island stop it and it wasn't and it didn't come back i didn't think i saw it come back also question so riley's um boyfriend machine was it pumping out millions of justin bieber's because it seems like it was a lot of justin bieber's so um some of my favorite i get some of my favorite quotes are probably yeah, I already said everything Anger says, and when he was doing the train, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> it was funny. Um, I give this four stars. If I would have gotten it more, except I felt like we were super detached from Riley. It was more about her emotions than Riley, which I get, but I wanted Riley a little bit more. Okay, since I promised this would be under two minutes, I'm going to make this quick. I am very confused. Last, um... Last thing I sent in, I asked if you guys would do a question of girls. I didn't get an answer. I commented, and Mason was no help. So I really want to know, will you guys review a question of girls? Love your podcast. You are hilarious. Mason, I want an answer. Bye. Uh, okay. Ah, uh, yes. Katie, I think, we, I, I think we've been doing this back and forth on the website in the comment section. Let me just <laughs> say so on the podcast for all to hear. Not while I'm on the podcast. <laughs> Yes, Chelsea. And I mean, free reign. And I mean, if Morgan and Chelsea do an, uh, a My Little Pony or Equestria Girls, I don't know or care the difference between the two. Um, I will not be present because I. How about, how about this? I would. I would just be a downer. I'm sorry. How about this? Once we get get to seven hundred fifty dollars per month on Patreon, we are going to be doing animated movie commentaries. Now, if we make it to that point, <laughs> would you? 
commit yourself to do a commentary for at least one episode of Equestria Girls. Yes, I will, but only if we'd have to record it in stereo so that people have the option of muting my <laughs> remarks if they're going to get offended because they're like a huge My Little Pony fan. Okay. I, I, I owe them that. Okay. Oh, well, we'll just have one where it's op- Mason's commentary optional, <laughs> and then another one where it's like full-on Mason commentary. <laughs> uh-huh. All right, our next one is from Melissa Long. Hey, guys, it's Melissa Long. I've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast for a few months now, and I absolutely love it. You know, not all of my family and friends are really into animation, so this is like the place I can go and just nerd out about the thing I love most, animated movies. And I was so excited for Inside Out to be released that I wanted to make my first voicemail. I really enjoyed the movie. It was colorful. The animation was excellent. And it was such a unique take on, I think, a phenomenon that all of us think about. Your emotions and your personality and how do all of those come to be. And I loved how it really developed the character of Riley and who she was just based on the emotion she had and the levels that they were present in her. And there were a lot of things that related to my life. So, of course, I cried. Every Pixar movie, I cry. (laughs) It's just a given. Anyway, that was uh, my thoughts about the movie. It's not my favorite Pixar movie, but it was a classic and a really great one that I will watch again and again. And I just wanted to suggest that maybe you guys could review Hoodwinked at some point. I think it's kind of an underrated movie in the animation world, and I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on it. Anyway... Thank you. Hmm. Hoodwinked. You know, that one might be along the veins of like Shrek, you know, when we talked about the anti fairy tale. So, you know, maybe someday. It's not really that close on my radar. My question is, did you really cry in Cars 2? Cause... I, cried, I cried for another reason. <laughs> question her. Uh... <laughs> hey, oh, go sorry. Thanks for calling, Melissa. Hello, Rotoscopers family. Ryan Prado here with my review of Disney Pixar's Inside Out for your consideration. Starting off and simply put, I love this film. It has joined the upper echelon Pixar movies for me, and I cannot give it enough praise. The depth of development of just the emotions I did not anticipate Joy and sadness gave me, as a viewer, the most satisfaction. How I just thought they were going to be, you know, single beat characters, but that the Pixar surprised me. Um, Riley, Riley's outside world, I was so touched between the interactions of her and her parents and just the little kid things we all do and forget about. Bing bong tragic tragic character i know pixar has tread this territory before of you know growing up and growing past certain aspects of ourselves and leaving stuff behind but that part what killed me i when joy also was holding the memory orbs oh my gosh i don't think there was a dry eye in the the house i was so fond of the film by the ending credits when they gave us that one uh, view into dog's memory and cat's uh, emotions and stuff. And they so perfectly captured it. And just to backtrack, the the lava short at the beginning, adorable. And, like, fond is the best word to describe it. I was so fond of everything that occurred on screen. I need to sit with it to see if it's going to stay one of my favorites, but right now, it's right up there. And i just like to thank you guys for listening. I'm going to give it, like, five out of five stars. Thank you very much. 
So Ryan, Ryan is one of our patrons, and he is so so awesome. Oh, what a Chelsea stud. actually um, had a call with him as part of her Rotoscopers patron perk, right? Oh yeah, I had the I had the perk of talking with Ryan. I'll just tell you that um, he's also a musician and he plays the banjo. He has a banjo in, in right next to his computer, and I thought that was awesome. Um, but we had a really good discussion about about Inside Out as well on on our little Skype call, and so that was really fun. All right, Jack Song, who I owe a Skype call uh, because he is another one of our awesome patrons. Hey, Roscopers, this is Jack calling from Atlanta, Georgia. Just want to give my quick thoughts on Inside Out. I really loved Inside Out for the most part. I enjoyed all the characters. I enjoyed the external characters, the visual look of the mind, especially the abstract, abstract thought scene where they change into these cubicle shapes and then a squiggly line. I really liked how they didn't have an end, a straight antagonist. They could have done that with Bing Bong, but I'm so happy they did not. And I did like the ideas of joy and sadness being together and changing each other in a way. And I really liked the idea of joy reminding me of an old camp counselor, this old chipper of a woman who always tries to turn everything sad into happiness, like some sort of strange kind of dictator. But overall, I really liked it, and I hope you guys talk about, speculate about sequels, because I really would love to see a sequel with this. It just leaves it open to it. Thanks. Bye. Let's see. Should this film have a sequel? I don't think so, and I I think that Pete Doctor feels the same. I think we should have just left it at that. Although we could see some cool, fun potential with puberty involved. I think shorts would be fine. You know, like the Toy Story shorts. I could see those. Like Mike's new car and stuff. Yeah, that would be clever. So we shall see. According to Pete's doctor, he doesn't have any plans, but he said never say never. Hi, my name's Matthew Hamilton. I'm from Melbourne, Australia, and short-time listener, first-time caller. Um, I don't have anything of major substance to uh, talk about, but I just wanted to say after listening to your podcast, my passion for animation has been reignited. Uh, a long t- uh, period of time actually went past in which I stopped watching um, animated films and shows altogether, and I forgot how much fun and joy um, they would bring me when I used to watch them. And yeah, after watching them, uh, after starting to watch them again uh, recently, um, I feel that way again, which is great. Um, some films I've recently watched are Sword in the Stone, Porco Rosso, and Big Hero 6. And, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed all of those films. I love the enthusiasm and passion you guys have for animation, which is clearly evident in each podcast. You all are very articulate and coherent when giving your reviews, delving deeper into the underlying themes and messages portrayed instead of giving a surface-level analysis, which is uh, very refreshing to hear in an animation podcast. Um, I am an aspiring uh, concept artist, and I hope to one day uh, design pre-production art for entertainment, um, animation, games, and um, film, so... That's my dream, and whenever I'm working on my portfolio, I'm usually listening to the show, which actually um, helps me stay focused, which is um, a plus. I'm very thankful for suddenly across the show uh, when when I searched for animation-related podcasts in, in iTunes, and uh, I just wish you guys all the best for the um, future, and I hope you continue with the show for many years to come. Thank you. 
Matthew, I love that you took the time in to call us. And even though you're, you've only been listening to us for a short time, I really appreciate that. And I love your accent. I think it's awesome. Thanks for calling. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Animation Addicts podcast. I had a blast. I know Mason had a blast. Chelsea had a blast because this movie is a blast inside out. I can't wait to see it again. I can't wait to see it when it comes out on Blu-ray and Disney movies anywhere and I can watch it anywhere. And um, I just was so impressed by this discussion that we were able to have about and I think that's just the nature of this film the film was that good that we were able to talk about it on like a higher level and it just brought all these ideas and concepts to the forefront so thank you everyone who sent in voicemails and who's been on the, the rotoscopers.com and giving us your thoughts and feedback about this film if you want to give us your review of Inside Out go to rotoscopers.com slash 98 that's where you can go and discuss this with us and discuss points of the podcast that you liked and didn't like disagreed with we love it it is fun the community is amazing now if you want to tweet about this episode use the hashtag anim addicts and anim addicts 98 also we have been mentioning patreon we don't want to like hit you over the head with patreon but it's been about a month um they were talking about earlier the the calls that we've been able to do anyone who joined us um as a patron between when we started and june 30th got a 15 minute skype call with the rotoscoper of their choice and so by the time this comes out that is ended but you can still get in on the rotoscopers action by being a patron you can join us in Roto Nation, the Rotoscopers Facebook group. There is so much fun stuff happening with Roto Nation. So go to rotoscopers.com slash patron to check that out. Also, guys, something really, really big is happening right now. Well, this month, basically, we are having a Rotoscopers meetup. And not just one of us, not just Chelsea and Morgan and anyone else. It is Morgan, Mason, and Chelsea all in one place. <laughs> That deserves a thunder tube. Absolutely. For the first time ever, Chelsea and Mason are going to meet each other. I mean, that in itself is epic and and amazing. The reason we're doing this is we are two episodes away from our 100th episode spectacular, and we really felt that we needed to come together and record some episodes and, and just do a bunch of videos and have a great time. And so this meetup, this meetup we're going to have on Friday, July 25th. We're actually going to go to Don Bluth Front Row Theater here in Arizona. And we are going to go to a show. We have some tickets reserved. We're going to go. We're going to watch You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. And obviously Don will be there and you'll be able to talk with him. You'll be able to talk with us. We'll go to dinner before. Details are at rotoscopers.com slash meetup. Sign up because these tickets aren't going to last we already know of people who are coming down from different states to come visit and that's a true story chelsea uh, so if you wanted to meet don or, or meet all three of us this really is an opportunity um if you live in california it's a quick weekend getaway so definitely check it out and go to rotoscovers.com slash meetup for all the details right there that's all i have i'm just so excited about the podcast and where things going again we've been so overwhelmed with the support and the love that you guys have given us um so thank you so so much we are so excited to just keep growing the podcast and bringing you so much more animation fun until next time guys we, we are, are the rotoscopers so all right are we gonna just try this whole thing over yeah may chelsea record mm-hmm. record okay check and mason speak everybody mason speak hulk smash let's see <laughs> Uh, we have our main character, an emotion called Joy, who is effervescent. Or, 
who is effervescent. I can't say it. Effervescent. Who is, yeah, I gotcha. Who is evanescence? Who is effervescent? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Who is effervescent? Golly. Effervescent. Dang it. Effervescent. That's hard. Effervescent. All right. We have our main character, an emotion called Joy, who is effervescent. Dang it, I can't do it. Scent, not zent. I know, I'm trying. I literally thought that. Okay. Uh, what? How old is Riley? How old is 11. Riley by the time the film starts? 11. 14, 12, 13? 11. 11. <laughs> okay. I'm a horrible Pixar fan for not knowing her age, apparently. Yeah. Hey, but I'm... imagine how cool it's going to be to record um, all three of us at the same place. I know. Ah, uh, the dynamic is going to be so much just cooler, I mean, better. I mean, we should do like two episodes. I think we I should know, do. There's just so much to do in so little time. So we okay. So while Chelsea's away, we were trying to figure out what should we do for the hundredth episode. Should we pick a movie, or should it be more just going over the years, or just talking about high level stuff or the show? I, I don't know. Well, you- I, I I don't know. We are the rotoscopers. We need like a 90s superhero theme song. <laughs> Rotoscopers, they're our hero. They are going to turn us to... Hmm, I'm not a very good rapper. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> that translation means no. <laughs> Trust me, I've done that many times myself. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> Possibly. Okay, what else we got? <laughs>